Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. In 2019, her face is still plastered around the Quad Cities like she went missing yesterday. Young, a yearbook photo, her eyes are big and beautiful like emeralds with black opals directly in the center. Her hair is wavy, but it's not perfect with a look like she had just moved her bangs right before the photo was snapped. She smirks, not smiles, but it's really sweet. A flowery top and a yin and yang necklace, a look that definitely screams the early 1990s. Large billboards line highways, bright blue, with big black numbers stretched in the middle, and the sense that hope is also attached, that someone will dial with answers. And when her name reappears in the news, You kind of hold on to the edge of your seat and silently pray that this could finally be the moment. It's a disappearance that has been etched into the Quad Cities for more than two decades. It's one shrouded with secrecy and no true answers as to what happened August 21st, 1996, and what happened to Trudy Appleby. Tribune Audio Network. The crimes that made your skin crawl. The missing faces you just couldn't get out of your head. The questions that never got answered. Missing and Murdered in the Midwest dives deep into these unforgettable cases, solved and unsolved. This content is not for the faint of heart. And now, here's your host, Toria Wilson. So if you don't know the Quad Cities, a simple explanation. It's five towns that line the Mississippi River between Iowa and Illinois. Davenport and Bettendorf are on the Iowa side. Moline, East Moline, and Rock Island are on the Illinois side. Each town has its own quirks and issues, but it all bleeds into the community as a whole. There's a joke that if you live on one side, you don't necessarily have to go to the other. Many people who live in Davenport could probably not tell you how to navigate around Moline. I know this because I've lived here my entire life and still struggle with this concept. But while the Mississippi is mighty and wide, it does not stop crime, drugs, death, and even the missing from leaving an impact. And in the case of Trudy especially, it's one that has been felt for so long. The night before 11-year-old Trudy disappeared, August 20th, 1996, a former neighbor, Kelly Carlson, recalled Trudy had just been ungrounded and had been rollerblading outside before coming over to play with her daughter, Amber. A traditional Midwest summer night of fun and freedom before school would begin once again. Trudy was getting ready to start sixth grade. 9 a.m. the following day, not even 24 hours later, would be the last time Trudy would be seen again. Her father had left the house at that time to head to work. A short time later, a neighbor saw Trudy getting into a silver or gray four-door vehicle 
She had a swimming suit and a towel in hand. A white man, approximately 20 years old, with curly brown or black hair, had a baseball cap on, was in the driver's seat. When her father returned home later that night, Trudy was not there. It was then he reported her missing, but police originally labeled her case as a runaway, something her family immediately denied. Neighbors reported Trudy got into the car willingly. Amber, the neighbor girl who hung out with Trudy the day before her disappearance, says even though she was 13 at the time, remembers Trudy telling her about talking with a 20-year-old man, but didn't believe her. It took nine days for Moline police to finally label the case an abduction. Calls to national organizations were then made to help in their efforts to try and find the missing 11-year-old. Family members and neighbors were all interviewed. Some were given polygraphs, but none checked out. And police began looking into other leads. Investigators said in that first press conference, more than a week after Trudy disappeared, that there were two sex offenders who lived near the Appleby residence. But they were also looking into any convicted offender living in the area. Instead of sitting idly by, waiting for answers, Dennis Appleby, Trudy's father, takes the case to the television spotlight. Nearly four months after Trudy was last seen, Dennis and a psychic speak on a local broadcasting segment. Dennis also takes the case on the Geraldo Rivera show and is also featured on America's Most Wanted's TV series. Postal workers in the state begin passing out her photo, but all these efforts turned up nothing. Nearly marking a year later, there's still no solid lead, and in local records, police say they checked nearly 400 gray vehicles, but investigated nearly 1,200 vehicles altogether. More than 600 leads were looked into throughout the United States. 1,300 people were interviewed. At the same time, family tensions boiled over, leading to fights that spilled from the family home onto local headlines. One report, days before the one-year anniversary, came from Trudy's mother, the article, published in 1997, interviewed Brenda Edelman, who placed blame on Dennis Appleby for what happened a year prior. She stated his days of smoking dope and drinking were the reasons why their daughter, Trudy, was missing. Brenda and Dennis had never married, according to reports. Dennis lived in Moline, while Brenda was across the river in Bettendorf at this time. Brenda had given up custody of Trudy, but assumed that the young girl would be taken care of by her maternal grandparents. Due to the law, Trudy was first given to her father, who began to live with him at the age of nine. When confronted by the allegations made by Edelman, Dennis stated, quote, This is not what this is about. This is not about me and my life 20 years ago. I just feel assassinated. 1998, 21 years ago. The family was getting ready to hold another vigil, another night of hoping, praying, any, any type of answers. Two years had passed. The case, very quiet. Investigators, though, believed that they had new leads. Moline Police Sergeant Kim Hankins had stated just that during the vigil, and that came days after Dennis once again appeared in the national spotlight, highlighting the disappearance of Trudy but it would be six more months before police announced they were scaling back its investigation to solely focus on the Quad City area. July 4th, the year 2000. 
it's a celebratory time here in the Quad Cities. There's a tradition here that we light fireworks off a barge located on the Mississippi River. It's a time of freedom and family and, of course, fireworks. But in the case of Trudy, it was still very silent. A report by our station, WQAD, stated the Sunday prior of the 4th of July that Trudy was alive and well and living in Utah, actually. The report, based on an unnamed source, who stated from another unnamed source, that a letter existed proving Trudy was in Utah. And at this time, she would have been around 16 years old. But police, WQAD, nor any family member had physically seen the letter itself. Moline police did say they were suspicious of the existence of the letter because the man who claimed to know of it said he learned about it while drinking and only remembers hearing about it from a woman named Pam. The family, obviously more critical of our station, angry even that the station would report something misleading. Some people commented that they were happy she was found alive, but Dennis emphasized that she was still missing and blamed our station for the damage that was done. Every time I look into Trudy's face on a picture, I hear her say, Where are you, Dad? Why haven't you come to get me? Five long years had plagued Dennis Appleby. The fact is, at this time, there are still no clues as to what happened to Trudy. Is she dead? Alive? Kidnapped? It almost seemed like a, a tale of fiction around the Quad Cities, an urban legend that is still talked about behind closed doors because there aren't any answers. And there's a part of you that, that can't imagine a young girl dropping off the face of the planet for five grueling years, and obviously longer. Two years later, 2002, two investigators showed up at the door of the Appleby home, asking questions about David Whipple, an accused child sex offender, and a friend of Trudy's dad. Whipple was later arrested with the Rock Island County Sheriff, stating he was charged with sexual assault, abusing a little girl for nearly a year, starting in 1996. And that's, of course, around the same time Trudy had gone missing. Trudy was reportedly a good friend to Whipple's daughter. Court records dating back to 2002 show Whipple spent 172 days in jail for the charges with two years probation. But keep this name in mind, because Whipple later became a clue in this ever-mysterious case. At the 10-year mark, Trudy would have been about 21 years old. Imagine being 21 again and all the things you did. College, friends, jobs. And Trudy is believed to be dead at this point. And of course, would never get to experience any of that. It seemed as though all the theories had long panned out. Every lead or every possible lead had seemed promising, but led to more dead ends. Her father said he did believe his daughter was not alive, and her mother still had hope she could be alive, but said she would always remember her girl as a bright 11-year-old. But no body, no clues, no suspects. 2014, we near the 20-year mark, and there's still so many unanswered questions. It's at this time in my own life that I'm about to begin my job here at WQAD a wide-eyed college graduate who couldn't be more excited to be working at a place in my own hometown. Two months after I started, tragedy hit. Not in my life, but in the Applebee's. Brenda Edelman, 
who had remarried and went by Brenda Gordon at this time, was tragically killed. Moline police say she was crossing a busy intersection in town, Avenue of the Cities, when she was hit by a passing vehicle. She died, never knowing what happened to Trudy. Her death also came just weeks after the family held its annual vigil for Trudy. The family's pastor told News 8 that Brenda was the driving force behind the family's continued search for their daughter, saying, quote, after so many years, and now Brenda being gone, that's some of the energy behind this vigil and keeping the memory alive was also gone. The man who hit her, Octavio Pisano, was charged with aggravated driving under the influence and was later sentenced to eight years in prison. One day after the 20-year mark, August 22nd, 2016, a crack in the case, or so it seemed. Moline Police Detective Michael Griffin saying for the first time, they know who is responsible for the abduction of Trudy. At this time, they believe the man suspected is dead, but they wanted his family to talk. It was a year later, 2017, when police released the name they say was last seen with 11-year-old Trudy Appleby. William Ed Smith died in 2014, but he was named as a person of interest. They also named a witness who saw Smith with Trudy the day she went missing. Smith's son-in-law, David Whipple. Remember the name? Moline police say a witness saw Smith near his home on Campbell's Island in the late morning hours of August 21st, 1996. That person stated he saw Trudy in the passenger seat of the car and saw Smith retrieve life jackets and later left. Smith was later seen by that witness in the afternoon, but Trudy was nowhere to be seen. The statement goes on to say that in the days after Trudy went missing, Smith was seen crying and threatened that witness that if he ever relayed the information to police, he would kill him. Smith's car was later scrapped, and a boat Smith was known to have later just disappeared. Police say Smith never admitted any knowledge regarding the disappearance. Dennis Appleby, Trudy's father, said that that witness police are referring to is David Whipple himself. But in the only interview ever given to former News 8 veteran Chris Miner, Whipple wouldn't give answers. Now, Mr. Whipple, you've gone on record as saying you seen Trudy on the island that morning, mid-morning. You seen her there. Seen her in a car with Mr. Ed Smith. I would love to give Dennis his answers. I know what I seen. I told what I seen. And everybody just thinks I know more. And I don't. You say you don't know anything more than that. I find that really hard to believe. You lived across the street from him. I mean, you guys you all were thick as thieves. But Trudy's father was friends with Smith and has said he believes Smith and others were involved two days after his daughter went missing. What do you think happened that day? They went out on a boat? Yep. And what? And an accident happened. And from there, I don't know, it could be anything. It could be that Ed, with Ed's history, could be that it was that he tried to do something funny and Trudy fought back, as would be her nature. Several weeks later, Moline and Illinois State Police teamed up and began searching on a lot on Campbell's Island, the last location David Whipple used to live at back in 1996. Cadaver dogs were also brought in to try and find any detection of human remains. But sadly, 
nothing turned up. We did not find any human remains. We did not find anything that we can specifically say was related to Trudy Applebee, but we did find items that we're going to process for evidence. Since then, Moline police have ramped up their efforts to try to find Trudy. Shortly after that search on Campbell's Island, police extended a $10,000 reward for anyone to come forward with information. Police have specifically called out Smith and Whipple's families and friends, saying they have known something all of this time and have chosen not to come forward. Those billboards mentioned in the beginning of the episode now line one highway and a busy intersection in Moline. I believe we're going to find resolution in this case, and we're going to do everything we can to do it. If that means using 1990s billboards and passing out flyers, and if I can get her face on a milk carton, I'll do it. Police also spent the fall of 2018 passing out flyers with Trudy's face on them along Campbell's Island with the help of the Quad City Missing Persons Network. Days after the new year in 2019, another break in the case. Moline police saying they found a possible key piece of evidence in the Appleby case. A boat. Police say Smith would use the boat all the time, but it mysteriously vanished after Trudy went missing until December of 2018. Police say they found the boat nearly two hours away from the Quad Cities. The new owners not connected to Trudy's disappearance. Police hope to find any DNA evidence of Trudy, stating since the boat is made of fiberglass, time was not an issue. Since then, the FBI has been processing the results with the hope of finding something connected to Trudy. But Moline police say if they do find evidence, it will bring forward Smith's acquaintances and family to tell them exactly what happened on the day that Trudy went missing to finally close this case. So now... June of 2018, we still are waiting. And there's hesitant optimism as to if something could finally turn up. But like we've seen in all the years since the case first opened, you never know what the quiet could honestly mean. And one can only hope that this is truly a key to help police finally uncover the final bits of what happened to young Trudy in 1996, potentially find her body, and hopefully lay her to rest. If not for her sake for her father's sake, who continues to live and wait and wonder what happened to his child. Coming up in a side story, we sit down with Moline Police Detective Michael Griffin and talk about the case now and see where everything is. So please tune in to that. <laughs>